Matt Chamberlain, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jordan. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I know it, uh, it's been a little while since you and I have, have caught up and uh, I, I can't remember, did you, yeah, I think you did come on to Smash Over Property way, way back in the day, uh, which is the first podcast I ever did. Um, so it's just been phenomenal to watch your journey, mate, and just sort of see how things have gone for you and the different avenues you've you've gone through and ultimately where you've you've landed now is is, is awesome. I love you sort of seeing you thrive and, and do and build and create your own thing. But um, yeah, I mean, for the listeners who maybe don't have that backstory, do you mind giving us a little, little, little life tour, as they say? Mate, for sure. How, how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'll, uh, I'll, do, I'll do my best to shorten it. But um, I guess um, long, long, long time ago, um, what sound, seems long ago now, it's about 10 years ago, um, maybe 11 now, I picked up um, the Barefoot Investor. Uh, as a lot of uh, people do, kind of getting into their um, wealth creation journey. And um, the the one thing I took away from that, the one, uh, I guess, life lesson I took was this concept that if you had enough money sitting in a bank account or um, invested in different investments, you didn't actually have to go to work. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. You know, <laughs> I've only ever known people in my life who have worked, um, you know, until 65 and retired and then lived, um, you know, their retirement years when realistically they, you know, their bodies probably weren't really able to give them um, a great lifestyle at that age point in their life. So I, I was 18 or 17 at the time. And I remember I walked into the bank um, just after my 18th birthday <clears throat> and I said to the teller, um, I'd like to go, I'd like to open up six online saver accounts. And she goes, <laughs> what the hell do you want six accounts for? Um, let alone a, an 18 year old coming in to say that. So, um, and that was me kind of getting myself set up financially with my buckets and savings and, you know, I'll put my money here and I'll put my money there. So um, that was the first step and I got into shares and that, and then um, I ended up uh, stumbling across another set of books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which taught me this extra concept of leverage into your investments. And, um, you know, starting with a really small base, but using someone else's money to leverage into a larger asset base. And of course, you're taking on risk with that, but potentially allowing yourself to um, to build a better wealth base in a shorter amount of time. A second thing I'm just re- kind of coming across it now is um, another thing that Rich Dad Poor Dad told me is you can also leverage other people's time. And it's really hard to do that if you're an employee. So um, recently we've kind of stepped out into, into being a business owner. I'm really looking forward to um, leveraging other people's time in the future as well to, to continue creating um, you know, my wealth base so that one day I can um, decide whether I want to go to work or whether I want to um, spend more time with my family or, or whatever it is. So mate, that's, I guess, the, the fundamentals of it, but we haven't even really talked about my, um, my working career. Should we dive into that? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, well, so um, went to uni straight out of school with my bucket accounts and um, and all that. I um, was working part-time while I was studying and I had it in my mind that I, I wanted to buy an investment property. That was my ultimate goal. Um, and because I was studying full-time and I was working part-time, I just didn't really have a really strong salary. So I thought all I can do during my study years is to 
save as much as I can for my deposit. And then when I start to work full time, the banks are going to start to give me some money. So um, that's what I did. Um, I think I saved 150 bucks every single week for four years while I was um, studying. And I came out um, into uh, accounting and I loved um, numbers as I, as I still do. Um, naturally kind of um, used that to my advantage to, to pick up a full-time gig, but quickly realized in accounting that I, I didn't really like the industry um, and didn't get much value out of out of doing uh, the the day-to-day as an accountant. Um, so that only just continued to make me super focused on saving. So I saved a, a fair chunk and within four years of study and about six months of full-time work, I'd managed to save up enough for a deposit for uh, investment property. And I actually used a buyer's agent because I was based in Newcastle, um, didn't have the knowledge or experience of other markets in Australia. And I thought I've got to tap into someone else's expertise because it could be, um, it could have been shares, it could have been rare art, it could have been Bitcoin, as long as I was leveraging into the right asset that had the right fundamentals at the right time of the cycle in the right location. Um, it, it was really important for me to get that first asset right because then leveraging the growth of that asset into building the rest of um, the portfolio was really important. So I thought, let's just outsource this, um, which I did and um, and managed to purchase an investment property back in uh, 2019, um, just, uh, about, yeah, as I said, about six months after starting work. And that was pretty much the start of um, of the wealth creation journey. But separate to that and and kind of coming back to what I was saying before I just was not passionate about accounting so I quickly uh got out of there as well yeah no that's awesome that's a phenomenal story I love the classics like um if you haven't read those books you have to go read them I've read them almost everyone I speak to has read them and, and they're amazing and uh I love it mate I love the the putting your head down getting super focused on saving your deposit and getting to the first one as so we all know the first one's the hardest one to get into. So uh, you did well to to step into that. And so tell us a little bit more. Uh, this is probably the next thing that you were going to get into, but uh, the transition period from using a buyer's agent in 19 to getting into the buyer's agency industry and now having your own buyer's agency, like how how has that played out for you? Is it like when, when you used one, you were like, oh, this is, this is a great space. I'd love to get into it. Like how, did, how did that story unfold? It's actually crazy just reflecting now that it's only been four years since that happened. Um, so I um, I quickly worked out that accounting wasn't really the career for me. And I didn't, at that time, I didn't really know what else I wanted to do. I was actually seriously considering becoming a financial planner. And before I made any rash decisions, I um, I had the luxury, um, my employer at the time um, was supporting me through a postgraduate diploma, my chartered accountancy, um, certificate of chartered accountancy, which um, is a massive thing within, uh, I guess, the accounting world. And it's a really, really solid accolade to kind of say, it gave me the confidence to say, if I'll go and give something else a crack, but at least I've got this as a fallback at the very least. Um, and it'll and they allow me to be pretty employable um, if that ever comes. So I kind of, uh, I stuck with it for two and a half years um, and got the certification and um, probably about six to nine months before that two and a half year mark, I started kind of plotting how I was going to get out. <laughs> and um, 
as I said, thinking about financial planning, I looked down, uh, I looked at that pretty seriously, realized that I was probably going to take another two to three or two years step backwards because I was just basically going right back to the start. Um, there's there's a lot to be said for the experience you get as an accountant, but it's not necessarily um, transferable um, in clear fashion across to financial planning. So then um, I thought, look, I don't know if I can... Um, you know, my aim was to get off the corporate ladder, not go backwards a few steps. <laughs> so I thought, what what else um, is out there? And I, as I said, I'd always been fascinated with the buyer's agency. I'd loved the, it from a personal perspective. And I'd actually kept in touch with the buyer's agents that I used. Um, and they were really, really ha- happy to share their time and their experience. And and I thought if, if these guys can give it a crack in, um, they're in a different state. Surely I can um, I can add some value to some clients um, locally in Newcastle. So I managed to tap into um, a local network, found a buyer's agent who had established himself only about six or nine months um, prior to um, meeting him. And then we worked on about a six-month journey to um, getting me as one of his first employees. Um, and I basically uh, stepped out of accounting, super stable, um, respected career into buyer's agency in August of 2020. So my family, my friends, everyone I knew thought I was uh, the stupidest person alive (laughs) going uh, in the middle of COVID from a super safe job into the unknown. But um, in hindsight, it was the best thing I could have done. Um, So that person actually then sold their buyer's agency really quickly, probably within about two months of me starting working with them to um, another person. And I kind of then took, um, was taken under their wing and and worked under that agency for um, about two years, two and a bit years, until about 12 months ago, decided I'll I'll try and give it a crack myself as well. Yeah, nice. That's amazing. Well, what a journey. And and look at you now, seems to be a, a big call. And, you know, even though as scary as, that time in 2020 would have been at the same time. It's been a really cool ride and, and cool journey for the property market over the, the last, you know, well, the two years coming out of COVID particularly, but um, yeah, super interesting. And so I, I suppose through all that exposure, particularly in the number side of things with the accountancies um, being through, you know, using a buyer's agent yourself, working in a buyer's agency for two years and now running your own one for, for 12 months. Um, I'm sure you would have seen some things along the journey and, and, and along the pathway. So if you did have a, a philosophy now in terms of building out a, a property portfolio, what do you think it would be? I actually love this question because now if I had the propensity to buy a property, it wouldn't be the same property that I bought as my first investment. And the big, the biggest change is that I've, I'm in a different stage of my life than I was when I bought my first investment. I have a different income. I have different um, equity base or, or um, wealth base. And therefore, I'm either able to make smarter or more riskier choices than I did back then. So if I, if I kind of talk through the philosophy when it started, it was what can I leverage into that gives me balance? Because I didn't have a really good income. Believe it or not, I, I think my highest earning potential when I was an accountant. So two and a half years into the journey, I was lucky to be earning $55,000 a year, um, which uh, doesn't go far with the banks. 
So the first property had to be something that was relatively balanced. And I think it, um, we purchased it for about 370,000. Um, pretty good yield at the time. Um, and long story short, that, that served a really, really great purpose. It allowed me not at the time to, to not have to contribute much, if anything. Um, and then I could focus on, um, say, say, my career. So um, fast forward, the second property we bought was um, the owner-occupied property. So completely different approach once again. Um, but then the third property circumstantially was uh, we had a deposit. Uh, we had funding to facilitate a renovation. So I actually purchased a property and manufactured a fair bit of equity through that property because I had time, uh, energy, and, and potentially, you know, some would say a bit of local market knowledge to be able to pull that um, renovation and, and um, purchase together. Uh, in a, a pretty um, smart way. So I know that doesn't really answer your question, but I think if I was to zoom out from the 30-foot view, the 30,000-foot view, I'd say it's still heavily focused on capital growth, but it needs to be balanced with your cash flow considerations and your time of life. So um, double income, no kids at the moment, that's not always going to be the case. We need to factor how we manage and hold onto our portfolio over the, over the next five, 10 years with changes in our cash flow circumstances. Yeah, I think that's such a, a critical thing is like, you know, you can have this one pathway to building out a portfolio and, you know, everyone has to follow this particular pathway, but it just doesn't happen that way. Like everyone's different. They've got their own story. They're in their own stages of life. They've got their own goals and aspirations and risk profiles and, there's kind of like no sort of one size fits all. So it's actually quite a good response uh, in comparison to like, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that. It's like, well, everyone's different and they go through different life phases and kind of need a bit needs to be reassessed at every point in, in the journey. Um, but That's if there was like. something you could go back and tell yourself before you started building out your portfolio, what would it be? Um, it would be that... Buying a property today and looking at the rental yield today and putting it into your spreadsheet and making sure that it works or it, it doesn't cost you any money today um, is probably not the right approach because things will change tomorrow. So um, a big driver for me in that first property was I didn't want to have to spend too much money on it. In my mind, I thought, if I buy this and I don't have to put um, too much money into it to hold on to it from day one, I'll just come back to it in 15 and 20 years and it'll be worth whatever it'll be worth and I'll, I'll have that upside. But on reflecting, if I'd have made some smarter choices with the, the knowledge I now have and I'd focused on potentially higher capital growth and managed a negative 1000 or a negative two or negative $3,000 um, uh, um, gearing um, or cash flow, but I was in. I was able to buy a higher growing property. I probably should have done that at the start because it would have got me further down the journey uh, than we are today. So, yeah, mate. If if that was the one thing I'd say, I'd tell myself just try and get out of the spreadsheet. Yeah, over over analysis, right? It's just like you have you can have analysis paralysis two ways. Sometimes it can stop you 
but sometimes it can give you the wrong confirmation signals as well. And you kind of make a decision based on looking at all the data and metrics. But if you don't take that, as you say, 30 foot view and zoom all the way out and go, well, actually like a rental yield is really a number based on today's statistics. Like the rent's going to change in time. The value of the property is going to change in time. The debt's going to change if we refinance later on. And so you're not buying the spreadsheet. You're essentially buying a, a moving target, a moving asset base. And so it's all about looking at the whole portfolio holistically in the future as things change and go, okay, well, this is actually going to serve the purpose of the portfolio later on rather than, yeah, it's okay and comfortable for now. It'll it'll do the job sort of thing because as we all know, we're, we're only all stuck by our borrowing capacity. And once we capped out, we're capped out. We'd have to sell or find a way to significantly increase our income. So it's um, a really, really good point. You are, uh, you're, Two for two at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I just you just said something really, really important that I didn't know. Um, I'm glad I learned it early enough. But um, the, in fact, um, Stuart brings this up a lot that the restriction you're the one thing that uh, a purchaser doesn't have or a property investor doesn't have endless supply of is their borrowing capacity. So use it as wisely as you possibly can, and it's not as simple as just buying property for property's sake. Um, you need to be really, really strategic with the quality and the fit of all of those assets within your finite borrowing capacity. Yeah, spot on. Is that Stuart Weems? Yeah. Yeah, he's one of my favourites. He's, uh, he, he's, he's great. Um, now, you did mention a little bit about the portfolio. I think you mentioned you had acquired three along the way. Um and you mentioned that you wouldn't have bought the first property that you did, but is there any other mistakes or uh, things that have come about in any of the other purchases in the portfolio that you would change or do differently or something like that? It's a really good question. So I'll, I'll, I'll give a bit of flavour to the, prop, the the renovation property that we did um, because at face value, it's actually not a property that I'd recommend a client purchase. Um, it doesn't have some of the um, fundamental uh, capital growth att attributes that if a client came to me and said, what contributes to capital growth, I'd show them my property and I'd say, not that. So, <laughs> but the reason we went down that route was twofold the first one was circumstantially it was really valuable for um, my wife and I at the time to capitalize with the tools that we had and uh, second to that it was an opportunity to um, based on I guess my the, the fact I get to um, be at the right place at the right time for my clients I've also had the ability to do that for myself and this particular property was just such a favorable purchase price that it made sense to buy the wrong asset, if that makes sense. Yeah. So okay. we can talk through it. So I, I bought a property um, on a train line um, that um, is subject to a lot of noise and it's not in a, like a, the most desirable area of that suburb. And traditionally we'd say to our clients, if you're looking for long-term capital growth, you want to buy something and, and come back in 20 years. Um, try and avoid your train lines and your main roads as a bare minimum. Um, so firstly, broke that cardinal sin. But 
Um, the reason it made so much sense is because uh, we were actually able to, number one, negotiate a really favourable price in in the in a very fast-paced growing market, which was, what were we, August 2021. Um, and we were able, the vendor wanted a long settlement. Um, she had some circumstances around that that, um, that required that. So what we did is we went to, I went to my mortgage broker and he said, yep, we know what you can get financed. You're going to need this uh, income by very close to the settlement date for us to be able to get your finance. And we've got probably five lenders we can go to if, um, you know, we can move things around. So I got the big tick from the, um, the broker, but I actually didn't have the deposit on, you know, when we first purchased the property. So I was basically kind of like, using future money to buy the property today um, which allowed us to to get into the property with a really really low at least at um, at the start really really low deposit and we're able to own the property through the settlement period um, which was actually in a growing market so we were able to capitalize on the growth of the market without actually having to pay the mortgage um, on the property and by the time that we property settled or the property settled in six months time we had enough to settle the deposit and we had enough to um, complete the renovation. So we then renovated the property in about three, three and a half months. Um, and that property is in a suburb which has a median rental yield of about, I'd say, 3.8 to 4%. And we're currently earning on cost, we're earning about 4.9% rental return. Um, and we've also seen um, about, well, we've doubled our money. So every dollar that we put into that renovation, we've actually received $2 back in terms of evaluation um, on the property. So it's worked really well in a short period of time to extend our, uh, let's say, our wealth base. But if I were to then, the longer that that goes on, because that property is not necessarily a high growth property in the future, the value in that property is slowly diminishing. That's um, it's such a a crucial element. I think a lot of people analyze, as we were saying before, like these these properties just based on the numbers on today. What's the results we can do? Can we buy it under market value? Can we renovate? Can we get our money back out again and look at it in isolation? But then they quickly get to five years down the line or ten years down the line and go, well, yeah, it really served me for the first six to twelve months when we did everything, but it's kind of just been stagnant or hasn't grown at the same rate since we've purchased it. And I think it's one of those critical things is like, yeah, it's all well and good to increase your asset base now and your wealth base now, but in five or 10 years time, is it going to continue to serve that purpose or has it already served its purpose sort of thing? So um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really, really crucial one. And, and I love it. Um, now we've already touched on it a little bit just in terms of you moving into the buyer's agency space, uh, but from a perspective of, you know, getting into the space and then actually starting your own buyer's agency, like I'm such a massive fan and advocate for everyone getting out and having a crack at their own business. It's um, super liberating. It's about a thousand times more work, but uh, it's also very, it, for me, it's been super enjoyable and I get a lot more out of, you know, pursuing my own passions than um, pursuing someone else's passions. And so, for you, what was that? Was there like a light bulb moment or was there something in particular that happened and triggered you to go, actually, I want to give this buyer's agency thing a bit of a crack myself. Um, and, and what did that look like for you? It's, um, I think it all started probably when I was 
very young. My dad was a um, self-employed and he had um, a business where he, he never had big ambitions. He worked really hard, um, but he did have an employee and, and, um, and they worked together for, for 20 or 30 years. So I saw the, let's call it the, the benefits of being a business owner, but also the other side. And that was that dad would often work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Um, so he, he sacrificed a lot, but it also helped me see that he created a lot of choices for himself and um, his family. And I felt that going through school, then uni and and as an accountant, that I always wanted to to become my own boss. and. I, I often would say to each to people who would ask, I just don't know. I just haven't found it yet. Um, and transitioning into the industry, coming fresh into the industry, the safest way in, in my mind was to um, learn from someone else, um, gain the skills under someone else's guidance, um, and let's call it their risk. <laughs> then when I felt confident enough to um, to give it a crack, it, it, it just seemed like kind of the natural next progression for me. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd say it, it started, I think I always knew I was going to probably become my own boss. Um, and after I found buyer's agency as like a, a true passion of mine, um, it just seemed right to to naturally go there. And we're 12 months in, I'd, I'd love to have this conversation in, in another 12 months, but um, at least so far, it's, it's definitely been worth it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm a massive advocate for it. And I'm gl- glad you did because you can uh, build what you want to build, you know, your, your, your branding, your processes, your, your clientele and um, really pursue it that way. I, I love it, man. It's, it's amazing. Now uh, there's a thousand and one of them out there, but if you had one favorite property, one liner, what would it be? <laughs> you can't spend equity. Nice. So, I like it. But I guess, I guess going, um, starting to think a little bit more about what happens when you've acquired your asset base. Um, certainly not there yet, but I guess my life up until now, it's all just been about acquisition, find, build, release equity, find another. Um, but now with, with life changing goals, changing and the rest, um, you know, I've become to realize that um, you, you, you can't, you, you probably could, um, spend equity uh, but the only way to do that is to continually feed um, uh, future borrowings with high income higher income and if you've got really high income from your day job then you probably aren't needing to spend the equity that you have in your portfolio so um, it's been a, become really relevant to me um, you know more recently that there does need to come a point in your portfolio where um, your growth has done its part and it's now starting to transition to um, different types of assets, which are going to then be more income producing, which will be the the true, uh, let's call it release from your time being connected to your ability to earn income. And that's for me where, where we want to be. So um, yeah, um, we'll either need to sell an asset to uh, and then spend the, uh, the cash sitting in the bank or we can leverage into more cash flow related assets, um, let them pay themselves down, and then we get to a point where the cash flow is supplying or um, paying for our lifestyle. Depending the portfolio, yeah. Yeah, it's a really, really crucial one. It's definitely something that we see quite often is 
that transition from growth to, you know, continuing to build the portfolio, then getting stuck in terms of borrowing capacity. And then it's like, well, what do we do? Uh, and growth serves its purpose uh, as you go through that acquisition window. But then ultimately you need to, if, if you're heading into retirement, actually want to replace an income, you, you can't do that on yields at three and a half, four percent. It needs to be um, something much higher and it's income focused. So uh, yeah, so it's it's amazing. I love I love the one liner. You can't you can't spend equity, and it's it's very very true. It's not free money. It's uh it's, it's still debt, and the more debt you add to the portfolio, the longer it's going to take to pay off. So um, it's a, it's a really really good one. Well, mate, uh, maybe we should do this again in in twelve months and see where you're at and see how things are going. But thank you so much for coming on today. Beautiful, mate. It's been a pleasure. All right, no worries. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.